Well, we were talking about this idea of being made for more. My wife and I recently had the opportunity uh, to go down to Tennessee. My sister and her husband, Dennis, live in Nashville. And uh, Dennis had some health problems a year ago, uh, had a heart attack, uh, just thankful the Lord was in the midst of all of that. Um, he happened to be about 10 minutes from the heart uh, Specialty, specialist location downtown Nashville, which is where they don't live. They live in Franklin, and uh, they were able to um, to help him, and uh, he's had some complications. So he's been able, unable to see family and come up and celebrate the wedding that uh, we just had. And, and uh, so it, it was fun to go down to Nashville to connect with them, have dinner with them. He's doing great right now. And so thank you, those of you who prayed and saw this on our prayer loft over the last year. But in the midst of being down in Nashville, I've been down there a couple times before. Some of you probably have too, but I have never visited the Ryman Auditorium. It's the, used to be the, the or the original Grand Ole Opry. And uh, my sister is an interpreter. And she works for a company that hires her out to go to different places uh, for the deaf community. And she often gets to stand on the side of the stage at Ryman Auditorium during concerts while Carrie Underwood and Luke Combs and all those guys, they're up there singing and she's 20 feet away doing her thing. And so she gets the opportunity to be there quite a bit. I've never been there, so it was fun to go. And we did one of the guided tours. And so we got to go into these back rooms where... People like Charlie Chaplin, Harry Houdini, uh, uh, Johnny Cash, and all of these people from the past, uh, Minnie Pearl, Dolly Parton had been in these rooms getting ready uh, before their concerts, and that was fun. And then uh, we heard stories of you know some of the newer people, Carrie Underwood, Darius Rucker, Slash, Foo Fighters, and uh, Herbie Hancock, which, funny enough, our tour guide was naming all these people, and I stopped at Herbie Hancock, and he said, you're the first person to ever point that one out of all the names that I just mentioned, but uh, I'm a little Herbie Hancock fan. So anyway, um, but as we went through this place and, and heard the history of how this Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Old Opry has had an influence on Nashville, on music, on the American culture, um, what really struck me the most was the story of how it all began. And if you've been there, you probably know this story, but right after the Civil War, people were moving into Nashville, and so thousands upon thousands of people coming into town, and when that happens, they begin to build bars and brothels and more people frequenting those places, and so a young preacher named Samuel Jones came into town, set up a tent in town, and began to preach the gospel, and so thousands of people are coming out to hear him preach and one of the locals, a man named Thomas, who was a riverboat captain and trying to build his business and wanting to build this riverboat empire, uh, heard that this Samuel guy was preaching and he thought he'd have a little fun with that. So he decided to go to the tent meeting and heckle the preacher. Well, that night, Thomas gave his life to Christ. <laughs> so the preacher got the last laugh there. But... Uh, so this Thomas, you know, this is the point in the story, you know, in sermons that, you know, you kind of want to, you expect to hear that, you know, Thomas quit what he was doing and he sold all of his goods and he became a missionary and he traveled the world and yeah, that didn't happen. 
Thomas went back to work the next day and he built his riverboat industry and built his empire and he went back to the day-to-day operations, but his life had been transformed and he saw himself differently. And so he began to use what God had already given him, his unique gifts, his personality, the way that he thought about doing business, and he began to use that to say, what could I do to raise up and to lift up the name of Christ? And he decided to build a tabernacle downtown center of downtown Nashville where people could come and they could hear the gospel. And so it took almost a decade, but Thomas built, along with some of the people there locally, but primarily through his efforts, built this tabernacle that was called the Union Gospel Tabernacle where people would come and they would worship together and thousands of people came to Christ and it began to change and transform the community of Nashville. It was so large that other groups decided to try to use it and so, uh, you know, civil events would come into town and they had permission to use it uh, all throughout the week and so concerts began to happen and very quickly it became known as the Carnegie Hall of the South and groups would come in and uh, upon Thomas's death at his funeral in that location, they decided to change the name of the church to, from the Union Gospel Tabernacle to his last name, Thomas Ryman, Ryman Auditorium. I don't know that he would have been for that name change because that is not why he built that building. But what struck me was that all the history and all the lives that have come through there and all the the names and even Johnny Cash and his faith and how he turned his life around and all the different testimonies that have come out of that place, the change in Nashville, the change in country music, the change in our American culture because of this place all started because one man saved by grace used his unique position and passions to lift up the name of Christ right where he was. And I think that's what we want to talk about today because although Thomas was a a great businessman, he was a boat captain, he was made for so much more. We live in a culture today where we, we try to make a name for ourselves. It's not something that we think is just going to happen, but we, we try to make a name for ourselves. We try to rise to the top. We, we talk about this, right? Leadership things, climb to the corporate ladder, uh, applaud. We applaud celebrities. We applaud stars. We have shows of American Idol, right? And America's Got Talent, and not a lot of them do, but we, we, we celebrate those that do. And uh, we pay the highest salaries to athletes that are a tenth of a second faster than the other person, can jump an eighth of an inch higher than the next person. Actors who have the right color of hair, the right shape of face, the right body shape, and we value them and we measure ourselves against all of these people. So everyone is out to be the best. Everyone is out to measure your worth and your identity through our culture by what other people think of us. We see our value and how many likes we get on our social media post, how many people attend our event, and what credit we get publicly when we volunteer for things. We want the applause, and we see ourselves and our value being rewarded by what other people think of who we are. And in all of our efforts to be the best and to climb that ladder, we've created a culture of shame. Young people are shamed on social media by what they wear, how their selfie turns out, the color of their hair, 
They're emotionally shamed by what complete strangers have to say about them. Worse yet, we find today that many of them are falling into depression or committing suicide over what complete strangers, people they've never met, have to say about who they are. They find their identity and what other people think. And adults, we're no different. Business owners are shamed by what stranger says about them on Yelp. Mothers are shamed by what someone else thinks about how they raise their children. Men poke fun and as guys do about different things but are shamed by what other men have to say about their education or their vocation. So what do we do? It's our culture, right? We try a little bit harder. We reach out for the applause. We hang out with people in hopes that they're gonna tell us that we're really good. We go on diets, change our clothes, read more, work longer, volunteer in order to hope that we might get noticed and that our value might go up. Unfortunately, we've brought this culture into the church, this unhealthy culture. We celebrate the people who volunteer the most, we fill, who fill the roles that are most needed. Oftentimes we would say that we don't, but deep down inside there's this idea that we believe that the people who are on a platform, who preach, who sing, who play, or who serve on a board matter more than the rest of us. And the truth is so dramatically different. None of that is true. And if you've ever struggled with, your, with measuring up and your value and what other people think of you and how do you live out this life when other people are telling you things that aren't true about who you are, I hope that today's message is for you. Because the scriptures teach us that our value is not in what others think about us or what type of applause we get from them, but our value is in who God created us to be And when we discover that, how we live that out. The series, Made for More, there's different shifts that we are talking about. You are made for more. And the shift that we're talking about today in our lives is the shift from more volunteers to more masterpieces. And what we mean by this is more volunteers. It's, we, we sometimes have this idea that, that if we just try a little bit harder, if we fill this role, that if we every now and then uh, do something good, right, outside ourselves, that somehow that's gonna fill a hole in our lives. We're gonna feel valued. But what God wants us to do, it's, it's not about filling roles and getting credit and more of, It's more about our unique personalities and our gifts, our passions, and the places where God has us in life. You see, the church is not what we do on Sunday. The church is the people of God using their unique gifts and abilities and passions and positions, using that out in the world. That if the church would recognize that each and every one of us who have a relationship with Christ, that we are masterpieces that God has uniquely made and gifted, and if we would understand that, and move out into the world being deployed, we would understand and we would experience seeing God lifted up and we would see transformation in other people's lives. So if there's nothing else that you get today, I hope that you get this idea, this concept of this shift. When you live as a masterpiece, the creator gets revealed. Just like any piece of art, right? When you're looking at a piece of art, I remember uh, my wife and I happened to be several years ago and it was a unique situation. We were in France, we were in Paris, France, and so we had to go to the Louvre and we we saw the the Mona Lisa, right? I thought it was this big painting. It's about about this big, (laughs) right? 
But everybody crammed in to see this painting and it, it, you know, Da Vinci. You can't help but look at that and think about the creator. Any piece of art, when you look at you, you're reminded of who the artist is, who the creator is. And for you and I, when we begin to live out this idea that we are uniquely gifted, created beings that God has in the right place at the right time, when we begin to live this way, he gets the glory. Things happen, people see Christ, they see God in our lives. And that's the call for us, church, is to live out what it means to be a masterpiece created by God. And when we do this, God gets revealed in our lives. And so in Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna look at a passage here today. In Ephesians chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse eight. Leading up to verse eight, Paul talks here about this whole effort and this idea of, of volunteering or trying to put forth this effort in our lives to be better. He, he, he says in the first several verses that we're living out our, our life by our own strength and in our own power and with our own desires and we just keep failing over and over and over again. That's our culture today. That's the, the way that, that most people live. And Paul says, yeah, we all lived that way at one point in time. We were trying to gratify our own desires and we were living in sin and separated from God. And then he says, but because of God and his great love for us, he redeemed us, he made us new. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be forgiven and we might be made new. And we pick up in verse eight here. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is, grace is unmerited favor. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you worked towards. It's something that God did for you. All you had to do was receive it, to trust in Jesus Christ, to reach out in faith and go, God, I need you. It's a dependency on who God is. And then Paul wants to kind of remind us of this, and so he gives us two balancing negatives to say, yeah, this really is grace. He says, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You didn't do anything to, to put yourself in the place where you are today. You didn't create yourself, clearly. You didn't give yourself uh, all of the intellect and abilities and the talents that you have. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it is not by works so that no one can boast. You can't say, man, I am so awesome. I got me here. Now, now when you have a dependency on God and you see things the way the scriptures teach us is the truth, you begin to see that only God could bring you to the place where you presently are. And God uniquely did this because he loves you. He goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork, God's craftsmanship. It reminds me of Genesis chapter one, right? In his image, he created humanity. Male and female, he created them. We, we have a relationship. God has placed within us a soul that we are like God. And, and he made us that way uniquely. I mean, most of us probably have a few things about our, our, our lives or our, ourselves that we would like to change, right? Our body size, I wouldn't mind a little more hair. I'm just saying. I can live without it, but I'm just saying. You know, there are things that we would like to change, but yet you, God made us, he created us, we are unique. 
At the very time in which we were born, we were created in a unique time and place, and it was all for him. And not only are we physically and mentally, emotionally created by God in such a unique way, but we are created in Christ Jesus. That means when you got saved, you ask Christ to come into your life, and the scriptures tell us that when we do that, we are made new. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It also tells us in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a whole list of spiritual gifts that God gives to those who receive him. We are uniquely gifted in hospitality and in mercy and in teaching and in preaching and all of the, in mercy And in prayer and in prophecy, there are spiritual gifts that are given when we come to know Christ. And when you begin to put your personality and how you were created and when you were created and your unique personality, and then you put that together with the gifts that we are given in Christ Jesus, and you begin to live that out, you could see that there are good works. And this isn't the same as earning our way towards salvation. This is the fruit The good works are the fruit of living as a masterpiece the way God created and he prepared for all of us to do. We are all to bring glory to God. We are all to lift his name up. And he has a unique way in which you and I can do that in our lives. And it's a shift from thinking about just doing things for God to, oh, I was created for God. He has a place for me in life and it is not doing something unique or in a way of something powerful that you have yet to find, right? I hear young people all the time like, oh, I just have to really find God's will for my life. I, I understand the feeling of that. But what if we had a shift where we said, you know what, God's will for your life is right where you're at because that's where he has you. It's that whole idea, right? I used to, I hear the words when I was growing up, bloom where you're planted. It's that whole idea. And if we would make that shift, right, from more volunteering, more just trying to do things here and there to help ourselves be more valued or to think that we're earning more credit with God, if we would learn to live as masterpieces, oh man, the creator would get revealed. We would see it in our day-to-day lives. Now, you might be a salesperson and believe that it's just a job. You go to work, you do your sales, you do your business, and then you do your Christian stuff on the side. You, 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 you know, go to Bible study, you go to growth group, you show up at church on Sunday, and somehow those are things that you're working towards being better. But the truth is, is that God, God has you as a salesperson right where you're at so that you can be a minister right then and there. If, if you would start to see the customers or the clients that you work with when, when you have contact with them, that God sent them to you. You might not like it, but God was sending those people to you and he has you right there that you might in love and in kindness minister to them each and every day in your ordinary life. But you're the masterpiece in the midst of that. And you'll find that as you, whether you make the sale or don't make the sale, how the people respond and what they see in you, oh, you will come to know that God is being lifted up. It benefits the kingdom. You might be a student in school. 
thinking I just have to get through this to get to where I'm going, right? It's, it's just the next thing. I gotta take this class in order to get this degree or I have to sit in this class in order to get the grade, to get the scholarship, to do whatever. You're always thinking that it's just a thing that you ha- are stuck in right now. But what if you began to see that you are a masterpiece and you're at that school, in that place, and in that classroom with those kids around you in order to minister to them How differently would you begin to treat people? How differently would you react? How much more would you put in effort to be the best that you can be in those moments? You might be a stay-at-home parent thinking that you go underappreciated or unnoticed even by those in your own family. But what would happen if you truly embrace the idea that God has you there to minister, to care, to love, to share the gospel and live out the gospel in your home. What a difference that might make. It reminds me of Susanna Wesley. She raised uh, several children, two of which are John and Charles Wesley, who uh, were the fathers, if you will, of the Methodist movement, who wrote thousands of hymns, who preached messages and started churches and started a whole movement uh, of reaching the world for Jesus and how that has transformed not only our American culture, but Europe as well. And yet it was Susanna. She never preached a message. She never wrote a hymn. To my knowledge, she never sang, never wrote a book describing how to be a good parent, but she each and every day raised those two boys to honor God. And the things that she taught in the home were things that they took with them. And so today she's considered the mother of Methodism, stay-at-home parent who changed the world, seeing herself as a masterpiece right where she was. And there will always be those like a John and Charles who will get applauded, but that's not how the kingdom normally works. Some of the greatest impacts have come from people who live out their ordinary lives, serving God every day with their passions. And you would think, well, Jesus wasn't this way, but he was. If you start looking at the life of Jesus, we have 52 days in the life of Jesus recorded for us of 33 years. We have 52 days in his life that we have recorded, but many of the recordings that we have and the miracles that he performed were things that happened while he was just living his ordinary life. As a young man, he's left in Jerusalem, right? And mom, has, mom and dad have to go back to Jerusalem to find him and he's in the temple courts speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and he says to his mom, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Like this is what I do, this is who I am. And then later on as an adult, he gets invited to a wedding, right? He gets the email, he gets the postcard, he, he gets invited to the wedding and he goes and he's sitting there at the wedding. I don't know what he was doing, if they were eating cake, if it was at the end of the wedding. Or, and someone comes and says, hey, uh, they, they've run out of wine. And his mom simply says, hey, uh, can you do something about this? <laughs> And so Jesus turns water into wine, his very first miracle. He was just sitting at a wedding. (laughs) He's speaking to a group of people one day. He's teaching them the scriptures. And they literally lower a man through the ceiling, a paralyzed man in front of him. Well, what do you do with that? It's like, that's not a sermon illustration, right? But Jesus was just going through his life. They lower a man and he's like, well, I guess we'll do this. So he heals the man. He walks out of the room 
He's walking down the street one day and a lady who had been bleeding for years reaches out and touches him and is healed. What's Jesus doing? He's walking. Throughout Jesus' ministry, there were things that he did do intentionally. But a lot of the miracles and the things that we see that happen in his life happen because he's just living out what it means to be the son of God. He's just, he's God's masterpiece. And every time a miracle happens, he goes, yeah, it's not me, it's my father. And God gets lifted up. God gets revealed, his creator, right? When you and I live as masterpieces, the creator gets revealed. It's a shift, and I want to ask a few questions. What position do you hold right now? Have you thought about it? How would God use your position that you have in life? Are you employed, unemployed, underemployed? What skills do you have? Are you stay at home? What position are you in right now in life? Are you a student? Where does God have you in your stage of life? Are you a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, retired? just heading into the marketplace? Where does God have you? What gifts do you have? Do you even know what they are? Do you know your spiritual gifts? Have you ever discovered what those are? And then what are your passions? Are there things that you just get excited about that just happen to be uniquely you? They're not for everyone, but these are the things that excite you. What would happen if you began to put these all together And consider that God has put you in a place, in a position, and gifted you with passions and abilities, personality, that you might live this out each and every day before others. What would that look like for you? Eric is a member of All Shores. Eric is a substitute teacher in our area, and he's volunteered at our church for years. He loves board games and sci-fi and fantasy but he loves Jesus more. And several years ago, he began to involve himself in what he would call the nerd culture. And he began to go to different events and Comic-Con and cosplay events and board game events in the area. But Eric began to discover that he could talk about Jesus and he could talk about scripture and how there's truths in scripture that are also come out and are revealed in some of these fantasy, sci-fi stories and board games. And so he and another friend wrote two devotional books for young people and or adults in the nerd culture. Uh, He's got over a thousand followers on Instagram and he, he, uh, he travels to all of these events. As a matter of fact, this morning I found out that he's at another event and he told me recently that he was at a Comic-Con event where he gathered together and just invited people to come and to talk about Jesus. And he had several people in a room where he was sharing about Christ. And before the time was over, the organizers of the, of the Comic-Con that he was at came to him and told him, we would love to have you back next year. There's something that you bring to this that's so cool and so unique. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Eric has taken his gifts and his personalities, but also his passion for this culture, and he's put them together. And God's name is getting lifted up. Jim is a member of All Shores and a volunteer at many different levels here. 
And oftentimes you will see him out front in the parking lot at our Spring Lake campus waving to people, welcoming them into our church. But he and his wife, Chris, man, they love horses and they love horse culture. They've been involved with horses for years. And uh, he goes to all of these events. And about 20 years ago, he connected with an organization when he was going from equestrian event and rodeo and all these birthday bash events and all these things. He ran into this organization called Cowboys for Christ. He got involved and today helps to serve with Cowboys for Christ. And uh, recently, just a couple of weeks ago, he was at an event and just open to talking about his faith. Just talks to people at these events that he's already at because he loves horses and he loves horse culture. This guy named Mike walks up to him and they have this great conversation and Mike decides today is the day makes a decision for Jesus Christ and Jim prays over him and he receives Jesus. And right after he receives Jesus, he says to Jim, he's like, I wanna get baptized, I want you to baptize me. So Jim looks around, it's a horse event. There's gotta be horse troughs somewhere, right? There's gotta be water. So he takes him around back of a barn and Jim privately baptizes this guy. You know, Jim didn't go there with this idea that this was going to be this huge event, that his value was more. Jim was just doing what he always does. He loves horses. He loves the horse culture. But he loves Jesus more. And he's just there to be available to people. And every now and then, God does something unique like this. I think Jim is a masterpiece. He's living this out. You know, I thought as I heard that story and he and I were talking this week, I thought what would it look like to reach out to the person in the cubicle next to yours, you know, if you're in an office and you lead them to Christ at lunchtime and you're like, well, there's a water cooler and you'd stick their head underneath there and just go for it. Or you're at the gym and my gym has the uh, water fountain or whatever, you can't use them anymore, but the water bottle thing, you can. And I was thinking, I I think I could get a head in there. You know, just like, what would it look like to, to lead someone to Christ just being at the gym? You know, that's what you do normally. When you and I begin to realize that everything we do and everywhere we go, we take this creation, our personality, who we are, our gifts, we take that with us in the home, in the marketplace, wherever we are. It's a shift, but if we would recognize that wherever we go, God has us there for a reason, how, how many more divine, unique opportunities would we experience if we just took that shift in understanding that you and I, all of us, were made for more? If you're living this way already and you recognize this and you know your gifts and all of that, maybe your next step is to simply go to our website. You need to be prayed over and you want to be commissioned. If you go to allshores.org slash made for more, there on that site, there's a place where you can fill out a form and contact us and we will come and have a conversation with you and commission you, pray over you, bless you as you go out into the marketplace wherever you go. If that's you and that's what you want to do, that might be your next step to, to, to almost like officially go, yes, this is who I am. This is what I'm made for. For some of you, it might be you don't know your gifts. If you go here, uh, you will notice that there is a, an assessment that you can take and you can learn what your spiritual gifts are. And we, you, we can talk with you and say, 
here's how we see this working in the church. Here's how we see this working outside of the church. Maybe that's your next step. For some of you, maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ. That whole concept of struggling and measuring up and trying to find your value from what others people, other people think. You've been doing that for so long and it, it doesn't work. There's one, just one applause that we need and only one person who already loves you so much that they sent their son to die for your sins in your place that you might be a child of God and maybe your next step is to simply say yes to God's grace and to realize that you can't earn his favor but man, it's available to you if you would reach out by faith and ask him to come into your life and let you see what a masterpiece he has really called you to be. So wherever you're at, the shift to discover that you were made for more is to become more of a masterpiece and less of a volunteer. That doesn't mean you quit volunteering, but it becomes a part of the fruit. It becomes an outplay of who you are and what you're already doing, whether it's in the church or deployed in our world. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we are uniquely, wonderfully, and even strangely made. But God, everything that we have, our personality, all that we are, our place in life is because of who you are and where you have us. It's not by accident. And so God, we, we just, we wanna receive from you today the truth from your word that we are not what other people think we are. We're not even who we think we are or who we hope to be, but we are who you created us to be, gifted masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you prepared in advance for us. God, help us to live into that so that the more we do, the more your name is lifted up, the more you receive glory, the more you get the credit, and the more we see how we fit into your kingdom. God, thank you that you value us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are those who are struggling even with that idea today, I pray that they would let down their guard, that they would surrender, and even though they do not fully yet understand they would accept the truth that they are the most important creation that you have ever made. God, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.